Welcome to Youth Culture. Um, hopefully you have seen myself at some point um, in the seminar stream. My name is Tex and I am part of the team that is leading Youth Culture this week. Uh, and so we've got a brilliant uh, kind of panel uh, today from the guys at Living Out who are going to be helping us look at gender and sexuality. And we really want to do this through Q&A. So we've got a text number. So sorry if you were at the back and wanting to see this and it's really small. I'll read out the number. It is 0789 six one two three two two nine so if you want to get that in and you can go questions to there so probably how we'll do it is like probably if they're questions of a similar nature might just sum them up um or if there's some really specifics we'll go through a variation so we're going to have uh just our kind of panel introduce themselves for a bit but you can definitely start sending questions in so i'll read that again it's oh seven eight nine six one two three Two two nine. Um, but before we start, I'd love to pray for us, if that's all right. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you so much for uh, the great benefit of being in community and able to learn from one another. I do pray that as we uh, look at questions uh, and answers today, really, about sexuality and gender, would uh, your spirit be amongst us? Would there be a sense of unity? Would there be a sense of uh, encouragement, a sense of peace with us? And we pray, continue to be with us. I pray with uh, all the leaders here feel equipped and ready to serve young people in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Tex. Hi, Wong. We're going to share a bit of our stories and a bit about um, living out a charity we're coming from, and then we'll get to your questions. So my name's Andrew. I am um, from Bexhill on the southeast coast of England, part of King's Church there in Hastings and Bexhill. And my story around sexuality is that I kind of grew up in a Christian home, was really blessed to know and love Jesus from a young age. And so I expected that my kind of uh, life journey, my life story would be what I saw happening all around me. What seemed to be implied at least was like the normal good Christian thing to do. I thought I would get up, get married in my early 20s, settle down with a decent job and have a few children. And that just seemed to be what everyone did, the right thing to do. I got to my early teen years though and I began to realise that as romantic and sexual attractions were emerging, they were emerging for other guys rather than for girls. And I began to realise that I'm same-sex attracted or gay or whatever language we want to use for that experience. And when that first happened, I think I didn't really know what was happening. I had quite a sheltered upbringing. The world was different 20 years ago. But over time, I began to realise this seems to be an ongoing experience for me. It wasn't changing um, it seemed to be a kind of a static thing and I realised I've got to work out how does this fit with wanting to faithfully follow Jesus. And then God kind of put me on a two-part journey of working that through. I was first having to wrestle with what actually, what does God say? What does God say about sex and marriage and relationships? What does he say about same-sex sexuality? And was kind of wrestling with the Bible and had to do that in a certain context and came to the conclusion that what I'd been taught was uh, is what God says, that sex and marriage are reserved for lifelong unions of one man and one woman. That's what the church has believed for 2,000 years because it's what Jesus in the scriptures and the rest of the scriptures teach. And therefore, I believed and I believe that for me to enter into a same-sex relationship wouldn't be honouring to Jesus and wouldn't be faithfulness to Jesus. And at that point, I was slightly young and naive and quite a pragmatist and thought that's fine I'll stay single that would be easy I got to my early 20s and realized it's slightly more complex than that I had to ask a second question of actually how do I do this can I do this even in a sense if actually for me faithfulness to Jesus is going to mean singleness celibacy 
is that possible? Is that going to work? But actually, graciously, God kind of showed me that where my real battles were weren't actually around wanting a husband or a boyfriend and wanting sex. They were ultimately about wanting to love and to be loved. A normal human, good, God-given desire. I began to experience that actually as an adult single, friendship and the experience of church, living as the family we are, living out that identity, means actually I can experience all the love I'm created to need. I get opportunities to love as a single person. And so I sometimes talk about my life now, a decade later, seeking to faithfully follow Jesus, is trying to hold those two things together. Of This is what God says about his plan for sex and sexuality. And that can work for me because celibate singleness is a good, fulfilling way of living life when we make sure we invest in friendship, when church is living as the family it um, should be. And that's what I love now to help people think about those two kind of questions and do that as part of the team at a charity called Living Out, which in just a moment I'll tell you a bit more about. But first, Ashley can share some of her story. Thank you. Hello, I'm Ashley. Um, I keep forgetting where I've come from because... Last year, my answer to that question was different. So now, I live in Leamington Spa. Uh, been there for about a year. Um, I was going to tell you about my whole life, but you don't need to know about all of that. You can ask me questions about my life later if you want. For now, I will tell you about uh, my own sexuality and how faith ties into that, uh, very much so as in Andrew's story. So I grew up going to church. I uh, was the kid who like knew all the answers and knew all the Bible stories in Sunday school. But I wouldn't say I really had my own faith. I kind of, I knew a lot about God, but I didn't actually know God. Uh, And I know some people can kind of pinpoint to the minute, like, oh, that's when it was that I gave my life to to Jesus. But for me, it was more of a slow process of kind of just him revealing more and more of himself to me. Um, So yeah, it was just kind of working through that throughout my teenage years, kind of going, what, what, what do I believe about this God? And do I want to, do I want to follow him? Part of my, a large part of my struggle there was sexuality. So I, again, cannot pinpoint to the moment uh, like an epiphany of, oh, I'm attracted to other women. But uh, that I would say has just been a fairly consistent experience across my life. I do experience attraction to men as well, but it's it's far more rare than my attractions to other women. So when I was 15, I started dating one of my female friends, and she was also a Christian. And so we were then in this very interesting confusing thing uh where we were trying to figure out okay we god seems to be saying some some stuff in the bible about this relationship and and it seems to be fairly clear that he's saying this is not a relationship we should be in as followers of jesus but what do i then do with that because i'm in love with you and this is really really hard and i don't i don't know why he's saying that it actually feels quite unfair it's like he's forcing me to choose between him and him and my girlfriend so we were in this kind of on again off again relationship for about 3 years just wrestling with these questions um got to a point where we broke up for other reasons that i won't give you all the drama of um but yeah, around then as well, just had reached a point of going, do you know what? I think I want to follow Jesus. I think he actually might be worth everything. I, th- I think he might be the best, the best way for me to live, might actually be following him. Um, so yeah, started actually spending time daily with him around the age of 19, 20. And so I date my, I started following Jesus from around then. Um, at the same time, I had developed feelings for another woman. So that, again, was tricky. I was actually living with her at the time. She was one of my housemates. So it was like in my face every day. And so I would go to God with it and say, okay, God, I 
don't know if I can obey you in this for my whole life. Like, this is just, it's quite difficult. Um, I don't know if I can make it to the end of the week, frankly, but I will, I will give you today. You can have my life today. I'll obey you today, and I won't pursue that relationship today. And then tomorrow, we'll see how we get on. So my first couple years of following Jesus were kind of that daily surrender and that daily going, is he worth it? Kind of weighing up the, the cost of following Jesus and deciding that he was because um, he's very, very good. So, yeah, that was a while ago now. I just turned 32 on Monday, so it's over a decade ago. Um, but, yeah, just throughout that decade, kind of, I guess, still continuing on that process, but in a different way. It's now just more and more and more as time goes by, I am convinced of the goodness of God and the goodness of what he says about sexuality and how this stuff in the Bible is actually good news for me. It's not some hard thing that I have to do that straight people get you know all of their freedom in the area of sexuality and I have to live by these other set of rules that's not actually the case what God has said about human sexuality is really really good for all of us um and I'm not going to launch into a preach on that I'm going to stop there and we will talk more about it later I imagine and so both Ashley and I uh, work with a charity called Living Out and we exist to help people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. Launched about 10 years ago, just kind of people, um, some people like us, it was three um, same-sex attracted guys at the time, realising that increasingly Christians were struggling to hold on to biblical teaching. There were lots of stories of people moving away from biblical teaching to affirming and entering into same-sex relationships and really no stories of people who were saying, no, we believe the traditional historic view uh, that the Bible teaches and we're seeking to faithfully live out. And so they launched Living Out, they shared their stories, and so stories are kind of at the heart of who we are. It's why we share our stories here. We want to show people, no, you can be same-sex attracted and still faithfully follow Jesus. And over the last 10 years, it's kind of grown into a kind of a resourcing organization as our main thing. And our heart's desire is to equip Christians and churches to understand biblical teaching, to see its goodness, to help all of us actually live out and thrive within God's parameters for um, kind of biblical sexuality. And there's various things we do. We get to come to events like this, which is great. We have a website, which is kind of our, one of our main resources, livingout.org, um, which if you've got any questions we don't answer today, which you probably will, because there are loads of questions. This is basically a huge free resource library, and you'll find podcasts and uh, talks, articles, reviews, all kind of different resources and most questions you have about sexuality, you'll find something there. Story videos as well to hear uh, some of our stories and the stories of our friends as well who are also seeking to faithfully follow Jesus. And so hopefully that's just a useful resource to you. And my Ashley's particular role on the team is to think about engaging with emerging generations, so kind of under 25. So we are particularly uh, keen to work with teenagers and youth leaders like yourselves and want to resource you, help you think about your questions and uh, a few specific things there Ashley can tell us about. Fair, thanks. Um, so yeah, one big thing that Andrew and I do is we help run this youth leader network. Um, I've been a youth leader for oh a long time, like a decade we'll say, we'll just call it that. Um, and it's never been easy, but particularly in the areas of sexuality and gender, like the last few years it just feels like it's getting harder and harder. And so we want to serve and equip youth leaders in that area um, just to help you guys to 
serve and love your young people, to answer their questions, to know how to engage with them in these areas. So the Youth Leader Network is one big way that we do that. Uh, by signing up to that, it's all free, it's very exciting. Uh, you get regular emails from us, so there'll be stuff in there, uh, like key resources highlighted for you, maybe some specific, what's the word, exclusive, thank you. You didn't say it. My brain, thank you. Oh, I'm tired. <sighs> exclusive resources um, and things that you can access there. It's got information about events, a whole bunch of things. Uh, so sign up for those and you'll get regular updates from us. The thing that we are involved in at the moment, which I'm very excited because we've taken over the Living Out podcast for a season, and so we are midway through our Youth Leaders Crash Course, which will appear on the screen. There it is. Uh, you can subscribe to that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts right now if you like the sound of it. So that is kind of, yeah, again, just aiming to serve and equip youth leaders. So we've started with a look at our culture, what our culture is saying about sexuality, how we can engage with those messages well, uh, how we can speak into the messages from a biblical perspective. We've then taken a look at the Bible itself. What does the Bible say? How can you teach that well to your young people? And then due to air, oh, tomorrow, uh, the next episode on pastoral care. So how do I love this young person who's just come out to me? What do I say to them? Uh, and thinking as well about the wider context of your group and the world that these young people are growing up in that you want to pastor. And then we've got a couple more coming on gender specifically and then one on mental health to finish the series. So that is the podcast. It's great. Do have a listen. Yeah. Um, thank you both for uh, just sharing your stories and your journey on that. Um, I guess a question that has come up and uh, it would be nice, to, I guess, if you share maybe from a perspective of living out, but also for yourselves in your own journey. Um, you know, one of the things you've both mentioned is how you've tried to hold to, um, you know, kind of biblical teaching and you, ha you clearly have a high view of scripture. Um, whereas young people now might be uh, experiencing a world that might uh, want to have a lower view of scripture. How did you wrestle that through in terms of for yourselves personally, but then also how do you help young people continue to have a high view of the Bible so that when we show them a biblical model to, of what sexuality looks like, they can, they feel like it's got authority, you know, that they put their authority in the right place. Yeah, I look back on my experience and I'm so glad and blessed to feel that I had already been taught to have a high view of scripture before I was wrestling with this question. And so for me, when I came to realize, well, I've got to work through the relationship between my faith and my sexuality, I was already committed to, I do that by coming to the scripture, which just affirms what you're saying there, the importance of that. And increasingly, I'm realizing in talking to young people, talking to youth leaders, a lot of the work we need to do isn't actually primarily around sexuality and gender. It's, as it were, further back down the line. It is the foundational stuff. I think so many young people, understandably, don't have a Christian worldview because the worldview of the world they're living in is so radically different. And until you've got certain foundations in place, of which the authority of Scripture is a key one, actually it's really hard then for young people to accept, understand, compute even kind of what the Bible says on sexuality and gender. And so I think for youth leaders, yes, absolutely, we want to talk about these topics explicitly with our young people, but actually we also want to be thinking, what are all the things we want to be talking about and discipling them in that they need in place in order to do that? Which actually is great because it means you're not constantly talking about the complex, controversial things. You actually get to do some stuff which is less controversial, but it's really going to help you when you get there. And so I think actually it's thinking as youth leaders, how do we instill in young people a a high regard for scripture, how do we yeah, get those foundations um, in place? 
Thank you. Yeah, I think that is that is really helpful. And um, even when we were talking about um, sex relationships and that sort of thing on Monday with John Dutton, I think is very much the, the similar thing. Just it's through the week in, week out of what you do that helps affirm that. Um, Sorry, yeah, so that thing of how do you do it is a question. Uh, and the, one of the things we've got, of course, is Gen Z for very understandable reasons, are very anti-authority. They are just seeing time and time again authorities be proved to be bad and corrupt and abusive. So authority is a dirty word and a bad thing of this generation and for really understandable reasons. And so what we've got to do is help them to realize authority can be a good thing and Jesus is the way we do that. Here's the one with ultimate authority but who lays down his privileges to serve others, who never misuses his authority. So I think we start from Jesus as you can, in a sense, there can be healthy authority and God is the healthy authority. Start from Jesus. And then the way we then show young people the Bible is our authority, where God's authority comes to us, is the fact that Jesus comes to Scripture, you know, especially on marriage and sex, say, in Matthew 19 and, and Mark 10. So I think in our conversations with young people about authority, Jesus is the place to go and there's lots there that can that can help us and then also i think you know it is helpful alongside scripture to appeal to authorities young people do understand so young people really care about uh, justice fairness well-being all for again good things and for good reasons so we can show what the bible says actually promotes justice promotes well-being we're showing this is a good authority. And I think one of the ways we, we don't just logically convince young people of the authority of the Bible, we also, in a sense, woo them to it by showing them that what their heart's longing for is achieved through listening to the authority of the Bible. Yeah, that's, that is really helpful. Thank you. Um, how would you recommend a, approaching this as a church that is maybe slightly older or even older that might maybe have a... Uh, maybe a, a less nuanced view on the issue of sexuality, but you now have young people coming up through the group who need the issue spoken about. So how do you help the church have that journey? It might be a slow process, which can feel frustrating depending on where you sit, but I think taking the time for it is so crucial. Um, I think consider it a conversation and start the conversation rather than you know trying to push something on people like have dialogue have discussion open it up talk about what people already think and then what the bible has to say and i think modeling modeling that to young people and even doing it with young people could be a really valuable thing like if they see older generations have questions and there is a space where they can ask those questions what does the bible say about this what what does god say about this and can actually do that all together i think there's actually a lot of value that could be taken from that, both in terms of building intergenerational relationships, but also in terms of showing young people what the Christian faith looks like when you're 30, 40, 50 years down the line. Yeah, I'd add, I think for people in in youth leader positions, working closely with your church leaders is really important on this. As a youth leader, you want kind of the the backing of your church leader as you're engaging with your young people in sexuality. But also, I think one of the roles of youth leaders is to help church leaders realise we must talk about this. Actually, some church leaders, if they don't have much contact with younger generations, aren't quite so aware how much this is one of the, the big things. And it's one of the decisive issues of whether this generation will follow Jesus or not. And I think youth leaders can help church leaders to understand that. But I think humility is really key as well in helping young people to learn humility, which actually says some older generations don't think like us, maybe use language we don't 
like maybe say things that sometimes feel a bit clunky or even offensive to us and when things are outright offensive that's uh, that's a problem we don't brush that over but we do want to be humble and recognize people have lived for decades more than us those who are older than us have some of them lived through ridiculous amounts of change in a short pace of time it is no wonder they are struggling to get their heads around and actually just a humility of actually understanding why different generations are coming from where they're coming from and that all of us are on a journey to learn to become more like Christ because what we don't want which can happen is young people kind of looking down on older generations as behind the times bigoted whatever and actually it's cultivating hearts of humility in young people towards older generations across the board including this topic is healthy yeah I think I'd agree with that in terms of the for young people on many issues they can be quite divisive can't they it's either that way or this way and I guess that's coming through culture but trying to have I guess grace like throughout everything not just like you just said not just on the issue of sexuality but on race on uh, diversity what you know whatever context that your church feels like they're grabbing climate change you know just trying to have grace through through it all and seeing that yeah comes with great humility that just because you're the current generation doesn't mean you're always right um, and even not looking at it in terms of right and wrong, but, but a journey of learning. Um, uh, another question that we had is, um, through kind of uh, maybe uh, what we're seeing in the news about uh, just potential failings of other leaders and that sometimes linked to sexuality or a view on, let's say, something like celibacy, um, how do you uh, say that we... How, how can we help... N- kind of correct the narrative that might be in kind of culture that might say those things are harmful but we might view them as you know and we do see them as healthy godly things yeah yeah that's that's really important i mean again jesus is so helpful how do we know that a single celibate life can be a fulfilled life an honoring to god life and a life which loves others well it's jesus you know, no, no christian can say that being celibate and single is bad or dangerous or that or less than human because Jesus, exhibit A, you know, again, to keep bringing young people back to Jesus' experience of being a human. I think the fact Jesus is a human and lived as a human is so helpful in connecting the realities of human life with young people. I think that's one of it. I think even just having conversations around you know, the reality of what is the case of we hear the big stories of the true but rarer situations that happen we don't hear all the stories you know we don't we don't notice the older single people who've been faithfully following jesus in our church for decades and loving people well and you know being surrogate aunts and aunties all these kind of things we hear the big news stories and we miss all the wonderful life-giving examples around us and so i think actually reminding young people to look at the people they know and not be shaped just by the one particular um situation and then on celibacy particularly just asking those questions of we have this feeling of this must be dangerous or must be impossible and just asking a young person why what's so horrific about the idea of a life without sex or what's so dangerous and again it's fostering conversation which is always what we want to do and often that gives us a chance to unpick some misunderstandings well celibacy inevitably means you're lonely isolated there's no intimacy in your life but is that really sex the only way we can experience intimacy you know actually celibacy is dangerous because if you're not having sex you know you need to have sex and you've got to do something bad do we really need to be having sex and it's just gently unpicking the misunderstandings that often underlie those attitudes and i love doing that conversation because that's helping young people learn to to think rather than just telling them no that's not right it's helping them to, to think yeah and i think um 
it's trying to see where those cultural narratives are a little bit false. Like, I guess, Love Island is like, love and relationships is the goal. But you're saying, well, actually, that isn't the goal of human flourishing. Is not necessarily to be in a relationship that there is flourishing in singleness. And so to see both sides. Um, a little bit more, okay, we had a couple more specific questions. So um, if you maybe have a couple of young people in your group who uh, you kind of notice that they are of the same sex and gender and are developing an attraction but haven't necessarily said anything of themselves, um, how would you recommend kind of helping them guide through or journey through what they, I guess, what you're seeing, but what they might be exploring internally. Um, yeah. Yeah, I had this a lot. Um, I think the the crucial thing is relationship. Like, you, you need to know them and they need to know you. They need to trust you so that you can open up those conversations. Um, so I think if we are doing discipleship well as youth leaders and we're already engaged with young people in kind of, let's talk about your life and what's going on with you and what are you thinking, then there is that space where you can start to raise questions. So some young people in my youth group I did have that relationship with and so we could go for a walk and I would say, so what's going on with this or with that? But then there were other young people who uh, maybe they came in frequently or just ones that I ended up just not not engaging with as personally. And... Um, for some of them, it just didn't feel appropriate for me to raise the question. Like, like I wouldn't just go up to them and say it. And then maybe then I might go, okay, I want to start building a relationship with this young person so we can have that conversation. But I think just dropping it on them out of the blue would have been counterproductive. So, yeah, I think relationship is, is vital when we start having these conversations. The thing that they need to know the most is the gospel. They need to know Jesus. Like, as Andrew was saying, so many of the questions we get from young people, it's, it's foundational misunderstandings about the goodness of the gospel. And so I would actually start there. I would just start with, you know, where, where's your faith? Are you, what's your relationship with Jesus like? What questions do you have about the scriptures and why we trust them? And actually talking about those things, because if those things are in place, then the biblical sexual narrative starts to make more sense. Um, otherwise, I think you are calling young people to, to something that, that makes no emotional and no logical sense for them. And it just then can completely switch them off to Jesus. So, yeah, I probably have other things to say, but that'll do it. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ashley. Um, so um, if you were to have a younger person, maybe 11 or 12, uh, come to you and uh, uh, come out and say that they're gay, but not in a sense of questioning that but more a definitive answer um i know you know as a youth lady you might want to help them see that their sexuality is not the only part of them so focus on their identity but how do you kind of help someone who's that young to again just go on that journey and what you know i guess a cultural narrative what does it look like to be 11 or 12 and actually be gay and maybe even in a small town you know how do you help a young person in that context I feel like you have to walk a fine line. I don't know if my answer will walk that line, but we'll see. I think, I mean, well, the initial conversation, I think you need to take them seriously. I think um, if, if a young person, 11 or 12, says to you, oh, I'm gay, you saying to them, you're 11, you don't know that. Like that kind of response is not going to be helpful. That's just going to shut down the conversation. So even if you're thinking, mm, I'm not so sure, we'll see where you are in a couple of years, I think just 
like take them at, take them at their word. Thank them. Thank them for telling you. Uh, ask questions about their experience, how they've come to that conclusion. Like just make it clear that it's a conversation that you're very willing to have and you're grateful that they're having with you. And then yeah, I'm just going to repeat stuff I've already said. Like I think it's it's continuing that relationship with them, walking with them through stuff, just chatting with them, asking them questions, like question things that you see in the world, in the, the media that they're engaging with. Talk to them about that. Ask them what they think it's telling them about sex, about love, about life. Um, and then ask them what they think about the Bible and how that is countercultural and, and where they land on all these different things. I think just, yeah, continuing to ask questions and keep the conversation open over the long term, I think is really beneficial. And this might not hit for exactly the kind of scenario you're talking about, but I think there's just great wisdom in us giving the good news to young people. They don't need to rush to work out their sexuality. No, culture is telling them your sexuality is the most important thing. It's who you are. It's therefore how you find your best life, which means even from your really quite young ages, young people are wrestling with who am I and my sexuality. I've got to reach that thing. And actually, it's really good news for them that A, your sexuality doesn't define you, but also you are growing up, you're becoming adult, you're not an adult, you don't need to panic about that and work that out and a lot of young people will be just feeling this pressure from the world around them and we just got the good news of the pressure isn't there that's that's okay um so especially a young person maybe it's a different scenario a young person is this might be i'm really no so that's often the conversations i have here but i don't know this and this and this and actually well, it's, it's okay to not knowing we don't need to worry actually we don't need to be quick to label ourselves actually it's not a thing and maybe with that situation what i might do with any young person is just to particularly if they're bringing it in that way of, no, I'm gay and this is really significant and working things, I want to, again, acknowledge the significance of the experience, but I'm also probably going to gently say something like, that's your experience, I'm so grateful you've told me, but, you know, there's so many different things about you as well, and I really love this about you and that about you, and I'm just gently sowing the seeds of, this isn't all you are, you know, because the risk is a young person reduces themselves to their sexuality, again, because culture is telling them to, and we want to say, no, you're a wonderful, um, unique being made in the image of God with all your own personality, all that kind of stuff. And I would even use it subtle ways of reminding them of some of those bits of showing them, yeah, this is real and I'm acknowledging that, but there's so much more to you as well. Yeah, and I, th- I think like in my experience, it's even every conversation that you have with them doesn't have to be around sexuality. Like it's, you know, so you're almost showing them through action that, yeah, we can, like I say, I'm talk- let's talk about your other interests because or, or let's talk about other elements of who you are because that that will show them okay oh it's not always really intense and we have to talk about this um and that actually there is and like I said the rush which I think is quite a big thing um in culture great so uh next one is um is celibacy a viable option to dealing with same-sex attraction does the word of God have supremacy over such feelings and can such person pray for it to go away Great. Yeah, yeah. So the question of change often comes up, actually, and can come in different ways. If we're experiencing same-sex attraction, should we seek change? Should we expect change? Or actually, you know, is change an option, but an optional does want that? Various things to say here. So starting from Scripture, as I see it, same-sex attraction is one of the examples of what Scripture would just call temptation. All of us, all the time, experience desires drawing us away from what God says is right and is good for us. All of us experience sexual desires drawing us away from. That's a universal part of human existence in this fallen world. 
And the assumption of the New Testament seems to be that every single one of us will continue to experience temptation, including from our own desires, until Jesus returns. That's a, a normal part of uh, human experience. And it seems to me that the thrust of the New Testament is that the responsibility on us is in how we respond to desires, how we deal with temptation, rather than seeking for them to change. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5 that even to look with the purpose and the intent of lusting is sinful, he doesn't say, therefore, pray and pray and pray until you nether again, get that bubbling up of desire which can turn into lust in you. He says, chop off your hand, gouge out your eye, be radical about the practical things that mean you won't make that bad choice in your mind or in your actions. The focus is much more about how we respond to temptation. Romans 8 says, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Not cry out for God to change your experience of temptation, but that. And so it seems to me that's the focus, and there's no promise in Scripture that temptation of any sort gets taken away from us, that any of our disordered desires, of which we've all got loads, get changed. I don't think that means actually God never does that, and I don't think it means that we should expect to be captive. So if you know someone has a... Um, an addiction to pornography and just a, a real being tangled up in lust. I think we can pray and should pray and should see a lessening in that because that's being captive to sin, which we are not because we're not slaves to sin, as Paul says in Romans 6. But that's different from expecting the pattern of our desires to come. And so it's got the scriptural basis. Then there's like the experiential reality of lots of people have sought change in their kind of direction of their desires have often been promised it and it just hasn't happened. It doesn't, God sometimes does it, but generally speaking, seems to not to. And the real problem that's being observed in past decades is people have been promised, if you pray or do this and that, your desires will change. They do do these things, their desires don't change, and then they think Jesus has failed them or Jesus has lied to them. And there's a whole host, sadly, of gay people who are no longer following Jesus. Part of the reason being, I was promised, well, I was told Jesus couldn't love me like this, I was promised if I did this, I'd be different. It didn't work. Evidently, Jesus doesn't love me or doesn't care, whatever. So, and I think that happens because we're promising more than the scriptures actually promise. We've got to be really careful to apply scriptural teaching into this situation as an experience temptation, which is parallel to many of other experiences. I'll just chuck in as well. Um, obviously, we're talking about this in the context of same-sex attraction, but when we look at what the Bible says about marriage and about singleness, like those are kind of the only two options for the Christian. Like you're either married or you're single and celibate. And it, is it 1 Corinthians 7? 1 Corinthians 7. Um, like Paul talks about marriage and singleness and he says they're both good. And actually he says kind of, I actually wish more people were, were single like me, but they are both good gifts. And so I think when we're having these conversations, just widening it out. So we're, we're not saying same sex attracted people, you have to live in this way that opposite sex attracted people don't have to. We're saying people, either you can... In the, in the Christian biblical framework, you can enjoy marriage to someone of the opposite sex or you can enjoy your single celibate life. Both are good ways of living that honour God. Yeah. And as a final point, and therefore, because they are the options for Christian faithfulness for all of us, it's not that what we're saying, what the Bible is saying, is every person who's predominantly same-sex attracted must live their life single and celibate. We are friends, one of the founders of Living Out. It's a same-sex attracted guy. He's still predominantly same-sex attracted, but developed feelings for one particular lady. They developed a relationship. They're now married with kids. And that's a story that's replicated loads of times over. Some people, it doesn't tend to be a significant change in their overall pattern of desires, but they do find they're able to enter into an opposite-sex marriage. And that's got to be done for the right reasons and with wisdom. 
But being same-sex attracted isn't necessarily meaning you must be or you will be single. And I think just keeping that open-minded thing. Again, it comes back to culture telling us this is who you are. It's static. It's definitional of you. Therefore, there can be no kind of wiggle room. And actually, the reality is, no, we're all just sexual beings. We've got broken sexuality. And it is more fluid in a sense. And so some people will find actually marriage to the opposite sex does work for them even while being not experiencing significant change in the general pattern of their desires. Yeah, thank you. That's really helpful. I'm just off the back of, I guess, some of those questions, particularly on the praying sort of stuff. And mostly legislation is kind of always changing and things like conversion therapy and kind of what is classified as conversion therapy and not. Have you guys got some practical kind of maybe do's and don'ts of around praying for young people around this issue just to kind of help a i think also safeguard young people's hearts um but also to do so in a helpful way that if they were to go to school and say oh my youth leader prayed this um you know like some of that I'll just say, yeah, I'll just I'll say no to legislation, so you're right. So we're still awaiting the long-awaited conversion therapy bill, which will be some sort of law to outlaw what, shall be, what they will call conversion practices. And the thing that we need to be praying is that actually they recognize that what we do in teaching the Bible, in maybe a praying for young people who say, I love Jesus, I believe this, therefore I want to live in this way, praying for help for them to do that, we need to be praying that actually that remains a freedom we have. The risk is this ban is too broad and actually very normal Christian stuff we're not allowed to do. So there's something to be praying for when kind of there'll be government consultation again and stuff. And, you know, it's your chance as a youth leader. Well, this is what it means to me when I'm leading a young person in this situation. This is the kind of thing I would pray. We need to show the government the stuff we do doesn't need to be illegal because, yeah, we have good prayer guidelines such as... Got any? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I think ask them what they would like you to pray for. Don't, don't make assumptions. Um, and then you're praying with them rather than praying at them, which is always a better place to be. <laughs> Prayer guidelines. I, th- I guess praying that the Spirit would help them and would strengthen them so that they can steward their sexualities well, whatever that, that looks like. Um, yeah, you're into you're into potentially rocky territory when you start praying for a change in someone's in someone's desires for various reasons. Although there may, may be situations where that's appropriate, but kind of you have to you have to judge that. But I think in the main, it is look, God, this person is is like experiencing these temptations, experiencing these desires. Would you help them to honor you even in those experiences? Um, which is essentially, yeah. If I think if you can find something else like a different life experience that falls into those kind of parameters and think well how would I pray for that like if someone is struggling with anger say like how would you pray for them when they're struggling with anger like they might be they might be genuinely angry about like it might be valid for them to be angry about certain situations so praying for the anger to go away is not necessarily the right thing to do but you can pray God how do I like like help them manage this anger well help them honor you and love others even in this experience yeah, I agree. I keep it to praying about how we respond to the reality of our desires. Uh, I think I always say just pray the gospel. I mean, it's always what to do full stop, but pray and make sure you're kind of gospel sense in your prayers. Such the prayer isn't just, well, this is a big problem that needs to be solved, but the prayer is you're someone who's known and loved by God. 
God's got fullness of life for you in living this way. Spirit of God, would you help this person to find the ways of experiencing fullness of life through being faithful to you? And I think deliberately keeping our prayers very gospel-centered is a great way of, of ministering to anybody, including young people, in this. Great. Um, have you guys got, I guess, um, it would be good to also hear your personal kind of journeys on this, um, but as well as some practical tools. Um, I guess for um, heterosexual couples who uh, will have same-sex um, people in uh, same-sex attracted people in their churches, um, and even just talking about the idea of celibacy, um, can you maybe talk about how have you found that? As so, for example, I'm heterosexual, married, and so for me to say to you to oh that celibacy may be an option for you without me having any idea of what that really entails um, and actually the real gravity like oh well that means like coming home to an empty house and like how do, how do we journey that as Christian community yeah I think we want to be really sensitive to it for me personally that hasn't been I haven't kind of found it annoying or offensive whatever when married people having sex are telling me the Bible says no single celibacy is a good thing I mean that's partly a personal thing you know again authenticity is such a um a value for the current younger generation which is a really good thing and so therefore it might be more of a thing that kind of does um great with them i guess if someone is but i do always want to encourage married people usually this church leaders not to feel they can't talk about this but what's great is in asking that question what we're recognizing is okay this isn't my life experience therefore i need to remember i'm not talking out of lived experience and I need to really think my way into that and I need to talk to people that so if I'm a married church leader giving a talk on singleness and celibacy I want to make sure I've talked to some single celibate people beforehand and it may be that actually they are sharing a story within it or I've got some quotes from them or something and you know I run my notes past them I'm I'm bringing lived experience into it and allowing them to share it there's ways you can do that even as someone who isn't singleness celibate and just that pastoral tool we probably all use all the time of we want to you want to acknowledge those times when you're sat before someone who's in a difficult situation or wrestling something which you haven't been through, you can't relate. And it's really important just to say, actually, I can't imagine what this could be like. You know, I don't fully understand what it's like for you, but I imagine you might be feeling this and this. You know, it's just healthy, actually, to because um, the risk always of acting like we do understand is we belittle the difficulties people are wrestling with. It's just a helpful thing just to be really open and acknowledge, actually, you know, uh, this is something I, I've not been through. And even say, how does that, feel for you so all these little tools that show our awareness of my experience is different from yours therefore but yeah I also wanted to say I think we can overplay it and don't be scared so I'm a single celibate person who spends my life teaching on sex who preaches on marriage has preached at a wedding and stuff and that's not that's not weird actually we don't think that's weird we do think the opposite is weird and it shapes how I do it but it's still okay for me to do it yeah I think it's also taking a few steps back in our thinking and Talk about singleness. Singleness is good because often the assumption can be, well, you married person having sex, your life is better because you are married and you are kind of consigning me to a, a second-rate way of living. So if we can kind of take a step back and talk about that and talk about how singleness is, is good, that can help. Um, I think also discipleship. Like when we are... No, start the sentence differently. As followers of Jesus... 
that costs us everything. It is our whole lives given over to Jesus. And for the married person, that is also true. For the married person, their whole sexuality has to be submitted to Jesus, just as for the single person. And how that is outworked might look a bit different. So for the married person, it means that they are faithful to their spouse in, in how they use their body and how they use their mind. That is what faithfulness to Jesus looks like for them. But for the single person, it looks like celibacy. But you are, you are asking the same thing of people. So I think if you can get back down to, we're actually talking about whether singleness is good. We're actually talking about some fundamentals of discipleship that can then really help you in the conversation moving forward. Great. Um, I've kind of a, maybe a two-part question. Um, so we'll ask the first part and then we'll kind of go to the second bit. Um, just in terms of, I guess, even just understanding things like same-sex attraction, um, it being unconscious, not a choice, some people might say a result of trauma, um, kind of, could you maybe talk about, you know, where does, like, how is living out kind of engaged with that, the theological perspective of that, and then I'll kind of go into the second part of the question. I guess, yes, I guess it's kind of a question about causation and uh, and such like. I mean, so the helpful, yeah, starting point is yeah, if the vast majority of people being gay, same distracted is an unchosen thing. You get occasional radical feminists who say, no, I'm, I'm choosing to be a lesbian rather than because it's a kind of innate experience. So the vast majority of people is an innate experience. You find it to be true of yourself through no choice of your owning a sense. And that is an important thing because sometimes a Christian caricature is being, why would you choose to be gay? I remember when I was first sharing my story, some Christian friends being confused, why would you choose to be gay? I'm like, well, I'm not. This is just how I found my experience to be. The causation thing, I mean, you can give both the kind of um, uh, you know, scientific answer, which is that there is no conclusive answer. It seems there's both nature and nurture elements. There could well be a kind of genetic propensity, but also elements of nurture can also impact traumatic experiences being one of the things that can and, and some people are open about that I know a, a young same sex attracted woman and she's quite open about the fact that she went through a traumatic sexual experience with a guy and that's now why she identifies as, um, as a lesbian and enters into um, same sex relationships but we need to with any, with any story we hear or person we talk to and we learn of, of, of their, their journey with it, we need to make sure we don't universalise. It's actually so much diversity. So it's not, oh, that was one person experience. Oh, that explains every person who's gay. It's not that. So just recognising there are no clear-cut answers. Often we don't know. There are various things I look at myself. I think various things of my childhood could have influenced this, but may not have done. Who knows? And in a sense, you reach the point of, does it really matter? What's much more helpful is actually the theological answer and question. Actually, we of all people have a worldview that enables us to explain how this is. Because we know that all of us have a sexuality created by God. We are sexual beings, a good part of God's creation. We also know that all of God's creation is being impacted and marred by sin. And so every one of us, our sexuality is impacted by the reality of the fall. And as I said already, we've all got these desires drawing us away from God's blessed but the glorious truth of the gospel is there's forgiveness for when we don't steward those desires rightly and ultimately there's a new creation coming when all things are put to rise. And so we have the theological narrative, the worldview narrative that can explain why it is we will have different experiences of sexuality, but God has life-giving plans for us and actually how the gospel is kind of good news in that. And I think the theological explanation is much more helpful to help young people wrestle with actually than kind of the scientific of which there are no... There are no answers that are particularly practically helpful. Brilliant. And I guess so. the second part to that question is, um, how would you, 
uh, advise us to or kind of to start these conversations with maybe Christians who differ on the causation spectrum? Well, I would. St- well, yeah. I would do either one of those and both of those in whatever, in whatever order. Um, because I guess o- o- in reality, often if you're talking to a Christian that's got a different view on the causation thing, it's probably not going to be a nature-nurture thing. It's likely to be a, this is some sort of spiritual attack, some deliverance is needed, or it's just going to be a, sometimes causation isn't the really controversial thing, but it is a, why aren't you praying for this to, to go away? And that's where I'm going to bring it back to Scripture. And it's where I'm particularly going to come back to yeah, biblical teaching on temptation. And basically, it's going to explore, well, I don't think the New Testament says that when there are patterns, when there are desires that are seeking to draw us away from God's plans, which we'll experience, I don't think the New Testament says the expectation is there's a demon at work and you need deliverance. Where on earth in the New Testament do you see that? I don't think there's anywhere in the New Testament that implies that actually any particular form of temptation is rooted in any particular... Um, life experience I just know I, I don't see it in the scriptures the scriptures say all of us all our desires are impacted by sin our responsibilities by the spirit to seek to um, overcome temptation let's say not gratify the desires of the flesh and um, to faithfully follow Jesus in that way so I'm going to bring it back to actually just the fact that I think those beliefs are almost always not underpinned by scripture I might even I'm not a confrontational way it's like, you know, so that's interesting that's not how I think about that Help me see in the scriptures where you think that. It might well not be able to. Or for me, I'm seeing this in the scriptures. That's why I think this. Because, you know, we want to foster good conversations with Christians at different viewpoints. And our common grounding is scripture. And you might find in the, common, in the conversation, scripture isn't the grounding. And then it's, well, I think our problem here is actually you seem happy to have a view which you don't feel is in scripture. But I'm going to follow scripture because I think that's what Jesus shows us to do. And so I want to foster conversation bring it back to that theological explanation and try and understand their view and why they think it's scriptural and then show I don't think it is. Brilliant. Um, and then just a kind of a, a little gain of a more practical question, just particularly around, around youth groups. Uh, what can you do in your youth group if you now have young people that are not Christian but attending your youth group who have experienced pain on this issue from another group? So the question was, if you've got young people who've come into your youth group, but they've been in a different one before that has caused them pain in this area? Yes, but not Christian. But not Christian. I think it's the way that we respond to anybody who comes into our youth group who is not a Christian and who maybe has experienced pain at the hands of the world, at the hands of other Christians. I think we just have to love them and listen to them and show them Jesus. And I could say more, but I'll just say that in different ways. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's the, um, it, the fact that they're in the room, I think is, is a huge testament. You know, like young people are not, um, they're not dumb, are they? <laughs> you know, they, um, if the, particularly if they've had pain on this issue and if it's really important to them, they would have kind of done their their research in some ways to know, can I come back? Can I come to this place? Because I've experienced this. And they will very quickly be able to tell what the culture is like from the moment they walk through through the doors. And I exactly like Ashley said, it's I think don't necessarily just focus on 
oh, how do we help young people who are uh, experiencing same-sex attraction and are not Christian come in? But it's, is your youth group a loving, welcoming, safe place for all young people? And so that, that is the primary essence that that is felt when you come through. And uh, I think for lots of young people, they, uh, in my experience, they won't need to feel that they need to address the same-sex question straight off the bat. Some might, but um, I think, yeah, that's a, a really kind of key bit. Yeah, and I think if they are bringing it up, then I think the sex tape, we want to acknowledge the reality of the pain. We don't want to brush it away. We want to acknowledge the reality of pain experience, acknowledge the reality of, you know, as they share things with us, acknowledge the reality of things that are being handled badly, where they're being hurt. And, and I do think there's an appropriate place for us as representatives of the body of Christ to apologize for ways that the body of Christ and other parts of the body of Christ has impacted people. And I think that can be really powerful. And particularly they're coming expecting, oh, you might be like this too. Actually, you'd say, wow, that's so, so painful. That shouldn't have happened. I'm so sorry that that has happened. I think there's incredible power there. And then also the thing I'd be wanting to admire, I'd be wanting to help that young person journey to a place of realizing that Christians have hurt me, but Christians are not Jesus. And this is really important, this distinction mm. we need to make, is the same thing we need to help young people be thinking through as they're hearing about all these heartbreaking abuse scandals. Some Christians have done awful things and abused privilege and all sorts, but they are not Jesus. Jesus will never do that. And for so many people in this generation, actually my generation particularly actually is around this topic, because sexuality was handled badly when I was younger, it is, no, there's no chance on giving Jesus a chance because of how those Christians taught me. But actually the way I want to gently, I want to do all the things of, that hurt and that was wrong and that is something I'm so sorry about and I want you to see that wasn't Jesus and Jesus actually is the one who wants to love you in that pain and just bringing it back to Jesus rather than what Christians are separating those two things out if we can is powerful yeah and I think actually that's kind of a common theme that's come up uh, in youth culture over the last three days about um, as we deal with young people with mental health issues and um, emotional first aid and not saying that this is in that category but the um the kind of solution has always been slow down. You don't have to give answers. And sometimes just the acknowledgement of thank you for telling me. Um, yeah, and, and you, even, if, you know, literally the simple words of I'm really sorry that that's happened to you is a huge uh, factor in a young person's life. And I remember a young person um, telling me about an incident that happened to them uh, just around some abuse and um I just said thank you for the courage for telling me and for them that was huge because the previous people that told had a huge reaction and I think almost not not normalizing it but I guess what like with any safeguarding isn't it when a young person discloses something to you you never want to show them you're shocked you know that's good practice and so yeah just the kind of acknowledging what's what's gone on which is really helpful there are no more questions four o'clock you guys are great um managing that really well um is there anything else you want to do um i'd love to pray for us and just kind of yeah um i'd love us to just you know kind of um be able to kind of just get before god just for literally you know 30 seconds uh the great thing about god is he he's not limited to time uh and doesn't need hours and just as we go back to our campsites and you will, uh, you know, from the questions, you will have young people that you're serving right now. But I want us to just uh, wait for God's Spirit to come. I'll pray for us and to know that He's with us, giving us wisdom through His church. 
um, but as well as by his, his spirit as we go. So yeah, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your spirit. Thank you that uh, we've been able to have the space to be able to, to talk about key issues that are facing young people. God, I do want to pray for us as youth leaders as we continue this week and in the coming months and years that we will serve young people, that you would help us to be spirit-led, compassionate Christians that would display Jesus, that ultimately we would help young people see their lives in the light of who he is and that they would be excited to live their lives out of the beautiful picture of who Jesus is and how he lived his life. God, I pray would you give us wisdom for what it means for us to do this contextually um, in our own groups. Uh, give us wisdom for the young people that we're going to go back to sight with now. Uh, God, I also pray uh, would you help us to have soft, compassionate hearts as we go back to young people now. Uh, to be able to serve them well and to show them who you are. But God, we thank you for all that you're doing in us. God, I want to thank you so much for uh, Andrew and Ashley. Uh, God, I pray would you fill them afresh as they give out this week in, uh, in their seminar stream and all that they've done. Uh, continue to give them wisdom as they think and develop and write for our benefit. Um, but God, we pray continue to be with them in Jesus' name. Amen.